Welcome, everybody, to the Full Disc Aviation Podcast, what we're calling Episode Zero, um, as we figure things out and how we're going to go with all this. Um, we'll start Episode One, but I'm Nick Moore. I'll be your host for today. I've got uh, a couple of my my good friends here with me. Um, I'll introduce those guys here in just a moment, but kind of wanted to start with a story as, uh, before we get going here. Um, a few years ago, when I started getting into aviation photography, um, I, I looked up to a lot of people, I saw a lot of people doing very good work on social media, but um, I felt like I was alone in my age. I felt like there was um, a lot of older people practicing, and um, I did not realize that there was a, a whole um, culture of, of younger people that shared the passion that I had. Um, two of the, the very first people that, that I remember finding on Instagram, and Facebook for that matter, um, that... Um, just had a had a real knack for for capturing aviation the way that I saw it um, had a uh, had an editing style that was that was pleasing to me um, and you know come to find out we're just all around um, very good people um, are my two good friends Nick Pascarella from the Big Apple New York City and Ryan Kelly who resides outside of Philadelphia so how are you guys Doing quite well. That was well said. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for inviting me on this. I'm doing good, man. Happy to uh, happy to be here for episode zero. Yeah. So, figure uh, zero seemed like a good place to start off because we can only go up from there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, just kind of start off, and I'm just ask you guys a few questions. Um, Nick, we'll start with you. What what got you into aviation? Well, um, I'd imagine that my whole life has been kind of one journey chasing things that fly around. Uh, I want to apologize to our listeners. I'm fighting a cold, sore throat, so my words might not be as clear as I would hope they'd be, but just bear with me. We'll get through this. Um, I was really into planes when I was younger. I remember watching the Iraqi war on TV, seeing the the alien green blobs of the Iraqi AAA floating up on the TV screens at night, and it was fascinating. Um, those really sharp edge jets that we had back then, the Nighthawk that was out there. Uh, and I remember chasing afterburners around Oceania at night when I was young with my dad driving around the base trying to find the best vantage point to see their touch and goes. At the time, it was F-14s, uh, F-15s, surprisingly. It's a naval base. And uh, F-18s. And it was just enthralling for me. But after that, it kind of just went away. I, you know, middle school, high school, college happened. I got way into music, played a lot of soccer, still playing music today with a bunch of different groups, but only came back into it in 2016 when I went to my first air show in probably, I don't know, 20 years. And uh, I pull up into the wrong side of the airfield at uh, World War II weekend in Reading, Pennsylvania, and my first sight getting out of the car was a Spitfire and a mossy tail chase as they dove down on the field. And if you guys know that airport, the other side of the field is kind of closer to the action. And uh, hearing those three Merlins wind up on their dives at the field, it still sends shivers down my spine. Uh, I brought my camera that weekend because I had been following some aviation accounts recently, namely one of the guys in this chat, Rye Guy Aviation, Ryan Kelly. Um, and I just wanted to take some pictures of planes. I didn't know where it was going to go, but I ended up snapping off about a thousand pictures and... Um, I liked them, comma, but they weren't anywhere near the level of Raigai Aviation. So, you know, time went by and I made friends with him and uh, he's really inspired me with his awesome work. And then you approached me about the podcast, which we never did, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, a website instead came out of that and a lot of great relationships with a lot of great performers and a lot of great artists. Is that you know we're not just photographers we're we're artists and same with the pilots and the maintainers and everyone else this is you know there's a lot of science behind it but this is 
this is art. Every bit of this is art. And that's what really gets me going. So Ryan, how did you get into aviation? That's a long story, but I'm going to sum it up quick. Um, so my dad was a career Air Force. Uh, thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Still is the coolest guy in the world. Uh, he flew A model 135s. Uh, before that, T-38s, T-37s, uh, started out on Cessnas and 172s and 150s, and uh, he was stationed at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey at the time, and I was, I want to say about four years old, and uh, it was one of those times where the Blue Angels were at an Air Force Base, kind of like recently the Thunderbirds were at Oceana, Master Jet Base for the Navy. Um, and I, I, I don't remember much uh, other than walking around and, and seeing these giants. Uh, you know, they had C-5s there, they had C-141s. Uh, this is before the C-17 really came on the market. So uh, I just remember just being amazed by the sheer size of these machines. And then uh, everybody knows that typically the show will open but you wait a couple hours before the uh, flying actually starts so i remember just seeing some of the performers and then the blue angels went up and you know you could see the blues you could see the thunderbirds so many times but there's there's still a part of that kid in me uh that every time i see him and for me it's it's the diamond and the uh, echelon parade for the for the blue angels mm. uh every time i see those maneuvers i mean it's just it's difficult flying and these guys are doing this multiple times a week and then sometimes during, tra during training multiple times a day. Um, so fast forward, you know, I stayed around aviation. I was seven years old. I was, <clears throat> I was ecstatic. I, I saved up enough money to hop a ride in a 152 and, and do a lap around the pattern. I think it was like $15. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it was a big deal. It was, it was a huge deal and, and, and one I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and then, you know, fast forward uh, from there, got into high school, um, started getting a little bit more serious about uh, flying and uh, what I wanted to do. And uh, got my license at 18, my private. Um, went off to college, uh, did not start studying aviation until the spring semester of my freshman year, uh, studying IFR and <clears throat> one thing what led to another that's that's a maybe that's a episode 45 for a fda podcast but um i ended up not staying in the aviation program and focused on business instead and uh you know did some flight training uh during the summers or if i could squeeze an hour or two in the 172 when i got back home i would um but i i kind of after college and I, I kind of ran out of money when it came to flying i just i couldn't afford it um so i had like a nikon point and shoot uh, i think it, it was like first gen cool picks or something like that <laughs> and uh you know I, I remember going to i think it was sun and fun like 2011 2012 something like that and i i thought i was the coolest guy out there i'm like all oh, right you know i got them all in one frame awesome <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, a digital zoom on the thing, and uh, I just, you know, you look back and you cringe, but at the same time, you, you appreciate how how far you've come and how much you've learned along the way and, and how many mentors you've had along the way. Um, but anytime I can, you know, kind of squeeze an hour or two in an airplane, uh, whether PIC or somebody says, hey, let's go flying, uh, I'm all about that. Um, there, there's no other feeling in the world like flying. Uh, so I picked up photography purely for the sense of if I can't be in the airplane, I want to get as close as I possibly can um, without actually flying it. And, uh, you know, I, after the cool pics and the point and shoot, I'm like, oh, maybe it's time to invest a little bit. So, I, you know, I started out with some uh, it was a D3200. It was one of those package deals on uh, Amazon and, uh, uh, you know, went to a couple shows, shot on 
shot on auto. Uh, had no idea what the hell I was doing with this thing. Um, but as as time you know evolved and I, I shut up I shut up and listened to people uh, talk to me and, and try to give me some pointers and advice and try new things and then incorporate well you know there's a certain way I want to see it and how I want to look at it after I take the shot because everybody has that feeling of I got the shot I got the shot but it's really when you open up the laptop or you plug it into the computer whatever uh, your post processing looks like and you review it and you there's like that it's almost that same feeling that I had as a kid when I was four years old seeing the Blue Angels for the first time it gives me that same type of gratification that I once had that's cool um, and you can seriously say I got that shot um, so I don't want to say the flying aspect of it for me has diminished um, I think it's only grown because of the fact that now I you know like some of the amazing talent throughout FDA uh, I look through a piece of glass and I hit a button now and uh, you know it's just it's been a fun journey and I, I think it's only getting going so that's that's the long and short of, of my story into it and how I've come to change and where I'm at today so I gotta ask uh, both of you guys you know early on you know when you first started out doing this um, do you have the the sequence of shots where you went to your first show and put it on uh, continuous fire and and just tried tracking the plane you know <laughs> the entire routine and then you get back and almost have this um, you know one frame a second video from a million miles away like I do <laughs> You know, I, I started with a 300 millimeter, um, 70, I think it was 70 to 300. And uh, man, so again, big glass. Hey, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I started with the 18 to 55, so. Nice. I, I had that too. That was that was uh, the 70 to 300 was thrown in as part of the package deal. It was the kit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I still remember it. I mean, shooting on auto and it's, you know. Thunderbirds fly by and it's click, 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 click. Uh, or so, you know, one of the uh, aerobatic performers, you know, guys like Matt Chapman and, uh, you know, Scott Francis, those types of guys that, you know, again, don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm just holding the shutter button down. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think it was shooting at like one two thousandths of a second so I could practically read Hartzell on the props. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely remember like the first show I had it out there at, and I just had no idea what I was doing. But hey, I got the airplane in the frame and it looks crisp at least at the time I thought so yeah my my experience at uh, World War II weekend that first air show uh, I just because of what I gleaned from uh, snooping on other people's Instagram profiles I knew what was necessary for propler but I didn't know what continuous fire was what's that I had a uh, one shot going the whole time, which is why all my planes are out of focus. And uh, I had my, the kit, you know, the 18 to 55 and the 70 to 300. Um, but yeah, I just got a lot of out of focus planes that I thought were really cool at the time and they didn't fill the frame at all. They were always very far away. I was shooting with a Canon T1i at the time, which is probably about the level of the camera you were talking about, right? guy, like, you know, 10 years ago, that was kind of like starter kit kind of, kind of deal. And I, you know, I worked with that for a number of years and, you know, all, all of those clicks as the, the airplanes flew by was like, you know, the click, click, click. That was my, my finger pressing the shutter every time because I didn't know what continuous fire was. Let alone oh. continuous focus, for that matter. We well, yeah, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I went on a, uh, the end of that show, this is probably what kind of sealed it for me. I bought a ride on a B-17 uh, Yankee lady out of the uh, Yankee Air Museum in Michigan. Um, and that was probably the best $450 I've ever spent. It was close to a religious experience for someone who's into this kind of thing uh, flying around on a B-17 I've never felt more comfortable on an airplane in my entire life 
but I did some shooting from inside and uh, you know I got you know one shot worked in that situation so I got some decent shots at that but I was still shooting at like one three twentieth so I got like you know you still got some prop movement but it's not the it's not what it could have been but do the best you can with what you got and what you know and you know down the road go ahead I was gonna say I'll definitely add on to that uh, because I've ridden on that same airplane and like you said it's the best 400 bucks that you can spend yeah uh, for 30 minutes Um, and if anybody does uh, listen to this if you get to a show where they're giving out rides um, do it yeah uh we we joke there's a B25 on the on the uh, airshow <laughs> circuit to this day that I could we could, could all probably fill up an entire hard drive with all the shots that we have of it. Um, but to this day, I'll always pick up the camera anyways because there's going to be a day where she's not flying on the circuit anymore, um, or flying period. She'll be a museum piece. Yep. Uh, these are actual living pieces of history um, that are not getting any younger. So I'll, I'll just say that. You know, if you have the opportunity, some extra cash and say, I'm going to throw some discretionary income to, you know, not only live for 30 minutes and have a good time, but it also keeps them flying. So yeah. most of the folks that run these airplanes are, you know, nonprofits. Uh, all the money that they make goes right back into the airplanes. So um, yeah, and the cost of these seem insanely high, but in the reality of it is the cost to operate these aircraft are insanely high. Yeah, I mean, I think I heard somebody somewhere say that you know, the average warbird costs anywhere between three to ten thousand dollars an hour to operate. I mean, yeah. So you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, four hundred bucks for half an hour, okay, you know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And the pilots on my flight, they're just volunteers. They're just doing this like for the fun of it on the weekend because they fly for Delta or American or whatever on the weekdays. Just really really nice guys giving up their time to do something like this and help people experience something historic and memorable and real and visceral and and you're in this tin can that's that what how many how many fat like tens of thousands of dudes went up in and didn't come back like that alone sitting in those seats it's 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 a wild 18 19 20 year old kids yeah babies not not to say that any 18 or 19 year old listening is not a baby you are big man (laughs) indestructible yes just yeah just say wait till your 30s (laughs) (laughs) when you sleep wrong it's like a mortal injury like if you fall from 30 feet and land on a bulldozer if you're 20 you just bounce right back up and you're fine and yeah. when you're 30, that's death. And Nick, I thought it was funny when you said that, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're uh, rattling off some shots while you're inside Yankee Lady. When I took my ride, and I actually sat up front uh, for the departure. Again, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I was shooting. So I, I, I hit the shutter once, and the flash came up. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And it went off, and I remember the guy, whoever was, uh, you know, PIC in the left seat that day. He gave me a look, and I, I, I that was the one and only picture I took on my DSLR that day on that flight. <laughs> oh no! So oh, resorted man. to the cell phone. For the rest of <laughs> That's also one thing I can I can throw into you know, if you ever have a second opportunity um, to take that same ride. Um, leave your camera, leave your phone on the ground and just enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, that's, that's the one thing that I, you know, as a photographer, you know, I want to capture every moment, but at the same time, you know, there's sometimes you just need to put the camera down and just, just soak in what you're, um, what you're a part of right at the moment, because, totally um, it's, um, you know, the, the opportunity that I got to ride in dock was just, um, you know, I have a hard time describing how, um, you know, breathtaking that was. Um, yeah, I was I was fortunate to take a few photos, but at the same time, there was you know 
the ride was long enough that I left my camera over in the seat and just went exploring around the cockpit, or not the cockpit, but the, the rear section where I was at. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty special. And imagine doing that for 14 hours, you know, and like dropping ordinance halfway. Yeah. <laughs> and then having to return home. Fighting AAA and zeros. Yeah. yeah. That's the part that always cracks me up is that, you know, a lot of people are like, do we have enough fuel? You know, they're flying to Oshkosh or whatever. Like, uh, I think I think they've got it covered. <laughs> I was when I was working with the uh, flying boat film crew, uh, doing a lot of shooting with those guys flying from Florida to the Bahamas. There were a number of times where the first time uh, we, it was like an evening flight and we were flying around Miami, and I get a tap on my shoulder and it's the director and he can't hear anything but he just motions to me this uplifting motion to breathe. And I'm like, oh yeah, like this is actually really cool what we're doing, flying around a helicopter in a G G111 Albatross around Miami. And I put my camera down and just enjoyed the next few minutes. And I, I did that periodically throughout the next, you know, experience. And it's I, I think it's important to, you know, put the camera down for a second and just enjoy what you're doing. There was a moment this year, uh, Rye Guy, James, and Rye Ty and myself were in mm -hmm. Buford, and we were watching the F-22, watching Loco tear it up over Buford, and we were so far away that some of, some of his maneuvers didn't really make sense to take photos of, but we just put our cameras down and watched him do these incredible things with altitude and no speed at all, with the Raptor floating it around through multiple rotations before he collects it and drives out unbelievable stuff yeah i was gonna bring that up so i'm glad that you did nick yeah it was it was powerful because you're, you're almost watching from afar you're watching like a drama unfold somewhere else and you can see everything that's going on it was really cool makes you appreciate the airplane and uh what the pilot's doing and, and frankly just the technology and the beauty of flight that you're you're actually getting to witness uh what these machines actually can do yeah, that, that's actually a good point. I was talking with um, uh, Dojo, the F-35 pilot. Some of the maneuvers that are their favorite to fly aren't impressive to photographers. They don't make vapor. They don't make the, you know, the ribbons from the wingtips. They're not, like, rolling all over the place. You know, like, the high alpha is a challenging thing to fly, apparently. And some other maneuvers that, you know, like the... Um, like Loco's uh, uh, pedal turn, like some of these things just don't pop visually and putting the camera down and watching it personally, it helps me appreciate the maneuver so much more and, and um, understanding how much the pilot is doing to work the, the butt end of that airplane around. Cool stuff. So we talked about, um, you know, how we, how we all got into aviation. Um, I can very specifically remember that the first frame of the very first show I ever went to was Matt Yonkin, who, if I understand correctly, had only been doing air shows for about a year. Um, do you guys remember what the very first thing you took a photo was? Well, I guess it would depend on how far back you go, because I accidentally have airplanes in the frame of a lot of the landscape shots I took back in the day. Um, I would do lightning photography and I'd have an airplane going through it or I'd be at a golf course shooting some stuff and an airplane would take off right over the golf course and I'd catch it, you know, one eight hundredth of a second sticky prop madness. Um, I've got pictures of uh, one of the, what's the, the turbo prop with the floats, single, single wing, single engine. Yeah, one of those taken off from the Hudson at like one twelve fiftieth or something like that. Like, I've never seen a prop so stopped in my life. But it's like, you know, taken off into a sunset around uh, the financial district and then up across the bridges. And But I, I wasn't concerned about the airplane. I was concerned about the scene. That was my goal with those shots. That was before I even had another thought about aviation. I was still very focused on the music thing. 
but uh, when I pulled into the wrong side of the airfield, I have a very, very blurry shot of a Spitfire chasing the Mossy. And that was the first terrible frame that I took. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? With my point-and-shoot, aviation-wise, I I think the first thing that I shot was the Helldiver at Sun and Fun. Um, the only one flying in the world. Uh, with my DSLR, uh, it was a gorgeous red and white Super Cub that I was just trying to figure the damn thing out. And uh, again, Nick, I, same thing as you. I, I think it was just like one one thousand, um, but it's on the <laughs> side and it was climbing. So I'm like, hey, you can't tell. It looks cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I've been going to Oshkosh since uh, 2008, um, and it probably wasn't until I'm gonna say 2012 or 13 before I started to um, shift it out of auto mode. And there are so many amazing things that happened, you know, in that span of time. You know, it's Oshkosh. There's there's something special that happens there every year. And um, I, I very vividly remember some of these fantastic shots that I've got of, um, I'm trying to remember how many DC-3s that it was that arrived, but, I mean, just one after another after another, and they all look dead stick. <laughs> and uh it's just you know one of those things you just like just chalk it up to um you know just a learning experience um you know i you, you guys mentioned you know being able to you know meet each other and um you know kind of you know mentor one another and and help teach and things like that and um that was one thing that you know not until um you know i met a lot of you guys and just had a lot of conversations on you know how to how to do certain things or even better yet just you know see something special that somebody did and and you know uh, try to kind of reverse engineer it um, to learn something from it um, you know that I finally started to get a handle on what it was that I was doing um, Interesting. but you know I think you know we're all super fortunate that we've got um, you know this great community that um, you know aviation photographers and and um, you know enthusiasts and um, you know that just we can you know come together and um you know kind of work through you know if anybody's got a question um you know odds are that there's somebody in our group that's that's already been through that and can you know offer assistance or um you know suggestions and and i just think that's you know the um you know it it, it could be a cutthroat thing where you know somebody is not willing to you know share a secret on how they did something and um, you know, I just, I really appreciate, you know, the, the friendships that all of us have that, you know, really, you know, there isn't any of that. Everybody's willing to share, you know, to the nth degree of, of what they know and, um, you know, how they're doing things and, and, you know, willing to help make somebody better. Well, I would, pardon me if I cut you off, but that's, that's you, my man. Like you do a lot of that and I appreciate you for that. You've taught me a lot of things, both in Photoshop and, you know, elsewhere in the, in the world of glass. That's, uh, you know, helped me step my game up and I appreciate that. You, you've got a lot of wisdom on that. I mean, we've all, we've all met guys that don't want to share secrets or anything like that. And Actually, it's funny. My first year at Oceana, um, I talked to a guy, and he's like, "Oh, he's like, well, do you, do you do this for a living?" And I said, "No, it's just for fun. I've never been to the show before." And he goes, "Oh, so you're probably all about just putting it on social media?" And I said, "Well, that's that's part of it." And he goes, "Yeah, I don't do that." I'm like, okay. I'm like, any tips for a shooting here? And he goes, "Yeah, just maximize your ISO." And, uh, you know, at the time, I, I like I said, I, I had no idea. I'm like, what is that there? He goes, it just puts the light on the airplanes. I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good. Um, not realizing now that that was the worst piece of ice that anybody could give me. Um, Shout out to that guy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he remembers yeah. that story. And if he ever listens to this, yeah, I, I learned from my mistake. Um, no, but I mean, just our group alone. Um, and then just the overwhelmingly amount of really great guys and, and girls 
through social media that are always willing to lend a hand, uh, whether it's, hey, you know, what shutter were you at here? Did you have to bump your ISO? Um, you know, what are your suggestions for doing something like this? And, and you know, us FDA guys and an overwhelmingly amount of people on social media are more times than not willing to lend a hand because we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just in the circle either. Right. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's more the, uh, it's more the rule than the exception that someone's going to help you out, you know, out of their way. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And it's, it's funny when we were down at, uh, I think it was at Buford this year, Nick, and, uh, there was a shot of the 22 that I had and I had full disclosure. I had, uh, started out with a different editing software than, uh, the Adobe suite. Uh, right. ran that for a couple years and, and really delved into the platforms that Adobe has now that, now that I'm using them for a while now. And uh, I remember sitting on the, the bed and I'm like, oh, there's too much noise in this. There's too much noise in this. And James pops over and he does this. And then you helped out with something like that. And I was just like, it kind of like made me sit, sit back for a second. And say like, that's what, that's what we're about. You know, uh, you know, process, yeah. process improvements for, for everybody. Um, but just being human, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like collectively, not just full disc, but you know, everyone as as artists as photographers as writers as musicians like like it's, it's not like you know everyone treats it as a competition but it's not it's just collectively if we all share we all elevate it helps everyone mm-hmm. so we talked about um, our early gear what are you guys um, what are you shooting with now Guy, you want this one? Yeah, yeah, I'll start. So, uh, I have two bodies that I shoot with uh, on the crop sensor. Um, I shoot Nikon, uh, so D five hundred is my crop sensor. Um, what a wonderful camera, by the way. I mean, the frames per second that that thing pushes out, and the stuff that it can capture. I give Nikon a definite high five on that one. Uh, I'll second. Then, and then my, my full frame is uh, no a D750, so uh, a couple years old now, um, but I, I always joke that if the 750 had the frames per second that the D500 had, I would never buy another camera. Uh, the versatility of that camera body is just absolutely incredible. I know Nikon released a D850. have yet to shoot with that yet or try shooting with it. Um, frankly, for the sake of that, I haven't really needed to or felt the need to. Uh, but those those two products, I think that Nikon has pushed out, has, they've just done a tremendous job. And, and frankly, the, the price points that they're at is, you know, they're higher than the entry level. Um, however, I mean, they're not as expensive as, as you know some of the five, six, seven thousand dollar bodies that are that are out there. Um, and then for glass, right now, uh, I, I shoot with two lenses: uh, Nikon twenty four to one twenty f four, which paired with the D750. If there's anybody that has either lens, uh, either that lens or that body, get the opposite of it. So get get that that pairing because you're going to spit out some incredible images that you can do some really cool stuff with post-process. Um, and then for the big glass, I, I've had the Sigma 150 to 600 uh, for a couple of years, uh, probably four years now. Uh, another piece of great glass. I can't say enough things, nice things about what Sigma did with that, especially at the price point that it's at, you know, it's a variable aperture lens. Uh, but for an affordable, um, route, it, it's, it's gotten me shots that I never would have been able to either a afford and, uh, mm-hmm. be dream of getting. So, uh, and do you fantastic. have the, the contemporary or the sport contemporary? It's much lighter than the sport, right? Um, I think it's only about a pound lighter, but uh, by the end of the day, um, that makes a difference. It it does. Uh, it's just you're, you're you're tired by the end of it, and it's it's funny this year. Thunder over Michigan. Uh, it was a Corsair event. However, they had almost as many Mustangs. They had eleven Corsairs there, and I think they had nine Mustangs. Oh man! Um, uh, shout out to Quicksilver. Uh, what's up, man? 
and uh scooter uh dude it was just it the constant uh, it, it was just racetrack patterns and racetrack patterns and <coughs> excuse me the uh you know by the end of holding a lens and swinging it back and forth for like 10 15 minutes in a row your arm starts to get tired you do that four five six seven times a day it, it adds up so um there's guys that have the sport option i think james has it i think right has it too right um, i don't know how they do it <laughs> i mean maybe yeah, i'm a wimp up. but it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna hit the gym more bro i know <laughs> I can I can say that they're all light compared to the Nikon 500 Prime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much would you say that is? Honestly, I have no idea what the weight is, but it's. Um, How does it feel? That's that's most important. It, I it, guess it feels insanely balanced, um, but it just um, even midway through the day, or or when you've got a constant racetrack pattern where you can't put the thing down, you're just shaking after a while because you know not only is it heavy but you know in order to hold it steady you got to put your arm you know quite a ways out there so um you know it's not something you get to just you know put eight inches from your face and and hold on to it so do you shoot but, with the with the sigma 150 to 600 as well yes yeah i've got the the contemporary how, does it, how would the the prime the 500 prime compared to that does it feel like double or is it like you know, a pound or two more. Um, I would I would say it feels probably like a pound or two more. Um, not only is is there all the glass there, but um, like I said, you know, it's it's really long, and then on top of that, there's a um, uh, lens hood that sticks out probably six or eight inches beyond the end of the lens. Right. And um, you know, and they've, from what I understand, they've actually um, you know, compared to previous models, it's considerably lighter than it used to be. Oh man! But, um, again, I don't own this lens. I've just had the fortunate uh, ability to be able to use it a couple of times. Yeah, definitely. Do you uh, percentage-wise, you know, shooting your your standard air show? What do you do? You feel that you use the um, the the crop uh, five hundred or the full frame seven fifty more, or what? What ratio do you use of of both? Do you see? You know that there's there's so many variables uh, to that. To that question um i'll give you a good example I'll, I'll bring up you know thunder over michigan again uh we were out there for a few days um and i primarily have stuck to the d500 uh just to get a little bit of the extra reach on the 150 to 600 um so i would say that's my primary and i would say if i'm doing a show for multiple days you know more than just a saturday and the sunday or even just a saturday and a sunday uh i'll split it up you know one day i'll shoot with the 500 and the next i might shoot with the 750 knowing fully that i'm going to have less shots just based off of frames per second um or if there's something i'm specifically going to shoot uh but if it's a one day air show nine times out of ten i'll be i'll be shooting with the uh the crop sensor and the uh the 750 on the, the shorter lens just for the uh, static stuff and stuff taxiing by and, and uh, some candidates and stuff like that. When I, uh, when I bought my first full frame, uh, the, the D600, I never in my right mind thought that I would ever go back to a crop sensor again. Um, and then I bought the 500 and I rarely take my 600 out of the bag anymore. Um, I use it for, like I said, for statics and something where I just need something wider. But um, Nikon did just such a nice job with that 500, and it's so fast um, that I just I haven't had I haven't had too much opportunity to um, to utilize it other than when I know I'm going to be right next to the runway, and I just really need two different you know two different lenses on a body. So how about you, Nick? What's um, what's your current setup? Well, um, right now my current setup, I should mention, by the way, that I started with a Minolta 35mm. Just get that out of the way. Um, I have a 7D Mark II Canon, and I have a 5D Mark IV. The 5D Mark IV is a full frame, fairly new, and the 7D Mark II is a fairly new crop sensor with a blisteringly fast frames per second 
So I think it's 10 frames per second. Um, and sometimes I won't even bring the Mark IV. Uh, it'll just be the 7D and my 100 to 400 uh, Canon glass. Uh, for shorter stuff, I've got the 24 to 105 L. Uh, and I've got the what's that one? The 17 to 40, and then I've got a 28 prime and a 50 prime that I don't really use much except for that one time I went to the canyon. Um, but yeah, I I shoot most of my air show days on the 7D with the 100 to 400, which gives me like an effective. Uh, 160 to 5, I don't know, 60 or 40, or my math is probably all wrong. I was never really any good at math. But yeah, that's my that's my setup, and that's what I roll with most days. If I'm on an air-to-air, -air, I'm grabbing the 5D Mark IV and the 24 to 105, unless there's something drastically different going on because otherwise I feel like that's the the perfect amount of spacing to get a, a plane that's close up on you and then relatively distant and get some nice close-ups just my opinion I know the 70 to 300 is much nicer if you have more distant subjects I'm sorry the uh, 70 to 200 yeah that's my that's my prime shooter for air-to-air -air stuff but I also I do find that I'm pushing my subjects out a lot they uh they tend to want to form up in the door and i typically want to push them out some so i can actually get them in the frame do you find that it bothers when you drop the shutter a bit do you find that the distance out bothers that like gives you less keepers because of the distance you're trying to go at being up in the air bouncing around you know i think i've been fortunate up to this point that the air has actually been relatively smooth um yeah. You know, I, I definitely, you know, keep the shutter, you know, uh, one over 50, one over 60, something along those lines, just depending on the plane. Um, but, you know, it seems like the relative motion has been there where my keeper rate is better than my, my ground to air photography. Wow. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, most of the time it's been um, a lot, you know, trying to go right at the end of the day or first light in the morning. Um, the, the air is just smoother than you know four o'clock in the afternoon so um, right. that just makes for makes for a little bit easier work lucky indeed <laughs> now we're grateful for any opportunity we get to go up but certainly would be nice to have a sunset or sunrise shoot I prefer the sunset sunrise is just too early yeah no one needs to be up at that hour it's easier to adjust too with the sun going down. Yeah, absolutely. And is. you can start plenty early and then work your way into it. Um, whereas, <laughs> you know, you're yeah, you are losing the light, but you um you know you can you can get your practice in when you've got plenty of light and, and work your way back versus first thing in the morning where you're it's pitch black and then, you know, all of a sudden the, the good light is gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it happens in a matter of like seconds. It really does. It's amazing what one cloud can ruin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's usually a fighter demo at an air show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about uh talked about gear. Um as far as editing goes, uh are you both um using Lightroom and Photoshop? Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing, actually, per your suggestion. I finally made the dive and got Photoshop and started learning all the basics of Photoshop because up until what, late last year, I guess, or maybe middle this year, I can't remember times anymore, uh, I was only using Lightroom and the Nick collection of plugins. But after adding... Photoshop to my bag of tricks. It's kind of like uh, like throwing yourself into the this wild mix of stuff that you really don't have any idea what to do. And it's pretty overwhelming. But with your help, I was able to get a hold on like few basics, 
and James helped me with some things and and it's it's been really rewarding seeing the uh the the level elevate with the work that I've been doing. That, that's the thing that I did find was was the most challenging with Photoshop is that it just does so much. Right. And you know, once you get the realization that you just need to um you know, learn one thing and right. understand how it works and then you know the next week learn something else and then you kind of get to the point where you can start to develop whatever your style is yeah and it, it yeah. took me a good a good year to to figure out mine and now it's just kind of a the well-oiled machine that pretty well every photo that i take is going to have x y and z done to it before it gets released to the public mm -hmm. how about you ryan yeah i mean uh going from the you know the uh, the other software over to the Adobe suite was was definitely a, a, a change. Uh, it totally changed my my workflow. Um, I started out kind of the same as as uh, Nick, uh, Lightroom only. Um, but Photoshop is just an absolutely incredible tool. Um, you know, it depends on how artsy you know I really want to get with some of my stuff. Um, there's times where. I'll be halfway through a photo and I'll say, you know, I, I, you know, I know my old software can make this look how I want it to look. Um, so I'll actually sometimes go back and forth between the two, um, utilizing both for the same photo, which is probably her a horrendous time waste <laughs> uh, going back and forth. But the end result makes me happy and I think it looks kind of cool. Uh, but I would say like like nine times out of ten, uh, I'm I'm working out of Photoshop and Lightroom. So it just takes a while to get that flow, but once you get it, you can crank out shots like you wouldn't believe. Absolutely. It feels good to get a nice workflow, kind of ingrained where you know where things are, what's what. Mm-hmm. If, if you I... need to make... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> But if you need to make like serious tweaks, like you kind of know a little bit of that too, like mm -hmm. a little bit of like the for me it was the um, the stamp, clone stamp. Yep. L learning some of the intricacies of that was very challenging but very rewarding and gave me some keepers out of shots that I would have thrown away. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you can get rid of that yellow rope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or the porta potties. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those porta potties are—they uh, do a wonderful job of ruining a lot of shots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or dust spots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've transferred stuff over to my phone, and then I find one, and I'm just like, "You son of a!" <laughs> <laughs> I use the Lightroom function for my dust spot removal, just yep. uh, for nothing else. That it just does a really good job of visualizing where the problems are. Yep. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I use that as well. And if I find a dust spot on one of my photos that makes it to my phone, it just gets shunned. And yeah. I, I never fix it. I never release it. It just goes <laughs> into the ether. <laughs> Banished oh. for all eternity. <laughs> Didn't mean to get that dark, but we'll move forward. It worked in this case. <laughs> So we're kind of pushing up on our allotted time here, but I've kind of got one final question for you guys. Shoot. So what is your unicorn? What is your aircraft that you have yet to take a photo of, and it has to still be a flying version of an aircraft? Oh, Nick, take this. I want to hear yours. Oh, man. Um, I... There, there's an, I mean, does it have to be one? <laughs> this list is, you know, opens, open scroll, <laughs> like one of those things, you know. Um, can I do like a top five, maybe? Sure, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, the Typhoon. I've got to see the Typhoon. I was hoping to see it at the Canyon because they were out at Nellis, but I never saw it. I was very upset. Um, the Japanese F-15s, 
those wild painted birds that they fly at shows out there or the 16s or the variant of the 16 or their F4s. That's just, I'm going to lump that all into one. Um, Lopes Hope is, in my opinion, the second most beautiful Mustang flying out there. And I need shots of that. Um, the OV-10 and the F4. It's a pretty solid list. I feel satisfied with that. Right, guy. I'm, I'm dying to hear yours. And Nick, I want to hear yours too. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Two of of yours are the same as mine. Um, I'll, I'll do a top five too, then, Nick. If that's if that's cool. Um, yeah, that's fine. Lopes Hope, uh, without a doubt. Um, absolutely incredible looking airplane that I just I need all I want is one picture <laughs> um, uh, F4 is another one um, that's that's one that I've just never had the opportunity um, you guys are going to laugh at this one I've always wanted to get a U2 mm. <laughs> the plane not the, yeah. uh, not the band <laughs> yeah. yeah that's <laughs> I've wanted the edge. Another day. Four and five. Oh. Um, there with that. Tomcat. Never shot a Tomcat, uh, and they're still flying technically. All right, that's so. all right. I'll allow it. Iranian. <laughs> yeah. Are they Iranian? Are those the last ones flying? Yep. Okay. I think they're all A models too. Um, oh man, really? Mm-hmm. They didn't even get the engine upgrade? I don't think they got any upgrade. Um, okay. And then... Jeez. All right. Tonkas are still flying, right? Tornadoes? Yeah, the Germans, right? Yeah, I think the Germans are. Still and the Italians, flying. maybe? I'd say it's it's a close tie between the Tornado and the MiG-29. I've never seen a MiG-29 fly. Um, I, I think they're just mean and just rugged as hell looking. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they, like, this is going to sound so minute, but, like, the exhaust that those things kick out, just it just looks awesome. And it's very fitting for the airframe, just on that tough, rugged, mean-looking airplane. It just spews out exhaust. I don't know. That's just my two cents. But that's cool. That's a heck of a list. I like that list. What about you, uh, Nick? Well, I'm gonna stick to my original question of just one, um, <laughs> and that would be the uh, the F100 Super Saber. Uh, that was my. That was the one that I had trouble omitting from my list. It's uh, it's one that that flew at Oshkosh. I want to say a day after I had to leave one year at twilight with the uh, F4s. Um, and, um, and fortunately in 2016, I was able to catch the, the last, uh, the two final phantoms that left Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've, I'm not a terribly huge fan of, of, um, the non us jets. I don't know why, maybe one of these days it will be, but for right now, I'm just, I, I really, really dig the the u.s hardware and and of um you know of all the jets still flying that i know of the the super saber takes it for me very nice i've i just finished uh songs from a distant cockpit uh john schultz flew f-100s in vietnam often from the alert pad at night in thunderstorms um you know, dropping ordnance where he doesn't know the line between friendly and foe on the ground, and he's pulling up underneath the treetops. Um, riveting stuff. And ever since I've read that, I've felt like I needed to see the F-100 fly, and I think there's only that one flying, right? I think there's two. I think there's uh two. Collins, Collins has one, one and uh, Cutter has his in Indiana. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. I did think of a loophole, though, Nick. Um, yeah. If there was going to be one airplane uh -huh. that's 
Some say it's still flying. Some say it's not. Would definitely be the 117. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely I've seen, not. I've seen photograph flying. photographic evidence that it is still flying. All right. Well, then there's my one. There's okay. my one. Forget about the others. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Could I throw one one last little quick one for you guys? Absolutely. You get your number one plane right on the list, whatever it was, like whatever you decide that to be. What location? And from what vantage point? You get one shot. To fly it? No, no, you get one <laughs> shot of the... <laughs> you get one shot of the airplane. How are you going to take it? What vantage point? Where are you? Oh, man. Right? We're going to go over our allotted time. That's all right. Um, it's got to be air to air, right? If that's what you're looking for, yeah. Uh, man. Um, doesn't have to be. Yeah, I think it has to be. <laughs> mine does. <laughs> <laughs> I think for mine, uh, you know, throwing everything in there, I think it's um, uh, over Death Valley somewhere, uh, sunset, air to air. Game, set, match. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um, I would uh, it would never ever happen but in my mind it looks awesome um, <laughs> would be over I'd be at the back of something with a ramp um, shooting down and over somewhere tropical where that's just like that teal water and uh, the 117 basically just pulling up towards the aircraft uh, just with that water in the background just like the uh, uh, just the variations of different colors and uh, the reefs out there and just this thing just face to face with you with that kind of backdrop I mean it would never happen but in my mind I can picture it and that alone <laughs> is, is it's good enough for me at this point hey we're talking fantastical <laughs> here so go all out man so, yeah that's it that's cool. That's really sweet. So how about you, Nick? Um, after a brief and violent thoughts series in my mind, it's, I mean, if we're going fantastical, I want an F4 at twilight climbing through, like bursting through clouds with the jungle, like misty jungle canopy below, you know, sunset and all the colors behind his vapor trail. And he's pulling vapor as he's climbing into the clouds. I could get behind that. There's got to yeah, be burners, right? Oh, 30 feet long. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. I think I could probably hang up the glass after that. <laughs> That's sick. Makes me feel really happy to think about. <laughs> it reminds me uh, of the end of Robin Old's book, Fighter Pilot. Yep. Talking about he just wants to be riding up the edge of one of those big cloud mountains in his F4 with the burners lit. That's the image I see in my head for that. All right, so that's gonna uh, that's gonna wrap us up for this first episode of the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Um, guys, would you uh, tell everybody where they can find your work at? Yeah, I mean, my uh, most of my stuff is on Instagram and Facebook, both under Rye Guy Aviation. That's R Y G U Y Aviation, all one word. Um, and if you're looking to take it another step. Uh, head over to fulldiscaviation.com. Um, you can actually get to meet all the members. And uh, I've got some work on there and a little bit more about me. Cool. Uh, I am Nick Pascarella. My Instagram handle is Nick's Glass Eye. I am the editor for Full Disc Aviation. And I've done a number of pieces that are still available under the Stories tab on the website. And you can meet 
many of our other members on the site and on our Instagram, Fullness Aviation Instagram, including Nick Moore, who did a wonderful job hosting today. Thank you very much. Why, thank you. And you can find me at gravity.images on Instagram and uh, just search for Gravity Images on Facebook. There are two of us. I'm the one with the airplanes. And um, with that, thank you all. And um, please be sure to uh, leave us a review in iTunes. Um, leave us some feedback. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like. Uh, we want to make this better, more entertaining. Um, and uh, we've got some some fun things hopefully coming down the pipe um, and um, any of your inputs is greatly greatly uh, helpful so with that have a wonderful day